we are coming to a glorious conclusion of our spiritual excursion of Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And for the next two Sundays, we shall feast upon Luke chapter 15, 25 through 32. And today we will look at verses 25 through 28. And our message is entitled, There's a Party Going On. There's a party going on. Some preachers one day were discussing the Bible as ministers often do when the subject of the elder brother of the parable of the prodigal son became the discussion of the day. The preachers were trying to figure out who the elder brother reminded them of. One older preacher spoke up and said, I know who he reminds me of. I know who he is. In fact, I saw him just yesterday. The other preachers eagerly awaited to hear his discovery. They asked, who is he? Who is he? And the wise old preacher simply said, he is me. As we travel through this awesome parable, many of us have also said, that sounds like, that looks like me. And many of us probably thought we were that elder brother, but as we will soon see in the weeks to come, that is not anything to boast about. This morning we're gonna address two points, party going on, and the second one being party poopers. So let's look at the first one, party going on, and we see that in verses 25 through 27. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Saints, this morning we shall learn both of these brothers had lived in a distant country. One had returned, the other was still living in a distant country. As the curtain rose on our parable of the prodigal son, the younger son was openly defiant. He was prideful and disrespectful to his father. He did not want to be in his father's presence or be under his authority. But praise be to God, the younger son came to his senses, he repented of his sinfulness and returned home broken, willing to be in the father's presence, willing to live under his father's authority. Where we first, when we were first introduced to the elder son in passing, he was more of a secretive prodigal. He was not as open with his defiance. He was not as open with his rebelliousness of his father's authority and presence because he stayed home. When the younger son went to the distant country, he appeared to be the faithful or good one. Mm. However, he also suffered from a case of severe pride. Mm. But he covered it up with a form of morality, with a form of being religious. Mm. So now we're going to start probably touching on people's toes, and some of you are going to start zoning me out, but that's okay. 
There are some folks, and just think of other people before you think of yourself, you can usually think of those individuals a lot quicker. They're like that elder son. They appear to be religious. They appear to be spiritual. They appear to be moral. They appear to be the ones that might have the biggest Bibles, the biggest crosses around their necks. Mm. They may be the ones that quote the Bible left and right, but they are actually in a far country because all they have is the appearance mm, of being a good saint. As we shall discover, the elder son was much more like the Pharisees and the scribes, while the younger son was more like the tax collectors and sinners. And saints, we need to understand it's dangerous to be like the elder son. Thinking you are spiritual, acting like you are religious, because such sanctimonious thinking often refuse to be broken. Mm. Because they don't think they need to be broken. See, remember back when this went all the way back at 15, when the Pharisees and scribes were upset with Jesus because he was eating with the wrong type of people. And you remember later on in Matthew when Jesus would say he did not come for those who didn't need a, didn't think they needed a physician. But he came for those who actually need one and realize they need one. And sometimes those who are spiritual, those who are legalistic, those who are pharisaic, they don't think they need a physician. That's for those poor sick people. Not realizing that they are sick themselves. They are living in a distant country, and their distant country might be in a role in a church every Sunday. The Pharisees listening to the parable up to this point probably thought the only good character in the parable was the elder son. They were probably saying, all these other people in this story of yours, Jesus, is messed up. Jesus, you messed up because you're eating with the wrong people. The son, the younger son, he messed up because he's disrespectful. The father is messed up because he's allowing this disrespectful child to get whatever he wants. The only one that looks like they're worth anything is the elder one because he stayed at home and he's working in the field. So when they hear this parable, they're saying, if we relate with anybody, it's got to be the older son. As onlookers... The Pharisees had passed judgment upon the prodigal son, the father, Jesus, everybody they had put judgment on that they were shameful in their behavior. It has been said, those with a Pharisee spirit are entertained by the conduct of others. It gives the Pharisees something to talk about. So he said, we don't have no Pharisees here. We have descendants here. The Pharisees are shocked and outraged by the conduct of those lowly people. They like to live in a place called Shameville where they can place shame on everyone except themselves. So they watch the lives of other people and they always say things like, shame on them, how bad are they, I'm glad I'm not like them, they need help. And God is saying, the reason why I wrote this parable was not so much for the prodigal son, but for the Pharisees. 
See, we spend a lot of time on the prodigal son, and the prodigal son is really not the main character. The main character is always going to be God, but the second main character is going to be the Pharisees because he wants the Pharisees to see how far they are away from God. So now let's begin to break down these few verses that we're going to look at today, and we start off by, now the older son was in the field. This once again speaks of the wealth of this family. The son was in the field, probably not working, but overseeing the other servants. But the field in which the elder son was working was at a great distance from the father's house. See, some of us say, we got a lot of land. Two, what, a half an acre. Okay, this ain't no half an acre land. He is so far off, he can't even hear the music when it's playing. So that begins to give you the mind of how much money this father had. He was unaware of what was happening back home. He was unaware of the celebration going on. Why? Because he was in a faraway part of the father's land. More than likely, it is now late in the evening. Remember, the younger son came back in the daytime when the father could see him from a long way off. When he approached his father's house, he heard music and dancing. Mm. A party was going on. And it wasn't a quiet party. He didn't come to a Sunday morning worship service of some churches where you don't know if it's open or closed. <laughs> it was a party going on. You see, God's people knew how to party. Sometimes for the right reason, sometimes for the wrong reason. Moses come back from the Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. He can't get down the mountain before he start hearing music. So when we say well, music is part of our culture, don't get into your culture. It was all the way back in the Old Testament. They have always enjoyed music. And they like to have a good time. More than likely, before the workday was over, the announcement had gone out. A general invitation to everyone in the village and its vicinity, come, we are killing the fatted calf. The father is saying, my, my son has come home. The guests would have gone home and dressed for the celebration. The festivities would begin around sundown, and as more people and more people arrived, the celebration would become livelier and livelier. So by the time the oldest son begins to come back home, he can already hear the music playing. But isn't it interesting that the other people in the town and the village got the invitation, the older son didn't? The other servants are already at the party. The other people in the town are already at the party. He don't even know there is a party. Mm. The guests would have come, gone home, dressed up. The festivities would begin. It was music that you could tell right away. This was party music. It wasn't funeral music. And when they gave a party, they would have professional musicians and singers to maximize the joyfulness and the atmosphere. The party was already rocking because the elder son could hear the celebration as he approached his father's house. The lateness of the elder son's arrival that he had come from a long way off is implied. Both sons came home but with totally different attitudes towards the father. See, this mindset, just come to God any old kind of way, is never biblical. Both sons came home. 
One came home repentant, broken. The other one's going to come home, as we're going to see in the weeks to come, not broken. Mm. The elder son one, summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what was this all about. All indications were that he was walking into a celebration. He ought to have been excited to learn what the spectacular good news was that caused this celebration. Because people didn't just have parties for no reason. They had parties because there was something to celebrate about. And he's saying, when I left this morning to go off, to go to the field to do my work, there was not a party planned. So now when I'm coming home, how is it all these people are here, the dancing and the music is going on, something good must have happened because it's not funeral music, it's lively music. So most of us would have thought, let me go in and see what the good news is all about. I come home at 320 and there's people in my house and music playing, I'm saying, wait a minute, what's going on? You would think he would run to the father's house. For if the father was rejoicing, it must be something worthy of such a great celebration. Because see, the father is the one who had to plan it. But instead, he begins inquiring of one of the servants outside of the father's house. He keeps his distance from the father. He keeps his distance from the celebration. And the Greek word translated servant signifies a young pre-adolescent boy. Because the older servants are in the house taking care of the party. The elder son demanded an explanation. Not from his father, but from someone who he believed he could intimidate. The verb tense, when it says he kept inquiring, is a present tense, and it says he kept asking them question after question after question. He was barraging this young servant, maybe with questions like, what is going on? How is that I didn't know about it? Why wasn't I even consulted? Because you got to remember, everything that's being used in that party belongs to who? You remember when he, the younger son left and he took his monetary value of what he could do. The younger son says, I disown any other thing that I have. Now everything belongs to the older son. So when they killing that fatty calf, that older son saying, that's my calf. <laughs> when they pouring the music and playing the musician, that's my money. The younger servant expected the elder son to be happy about the news. Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now the Greek expression translated safe and sound in our English version is the same root from which our word hygiene comes from. It means it speaks of wholeness, cleansing, and health. The younger servant was not merely announcing that the prodigal son was finally home from the far country, but also that he was dramatically changed for the better. But he didn't just say that. He also said or implied, the father has received him. Yeah. 
their relationship was restored, it was all good between the father and son. Now we can understand how we get to verse 28. He was angry. Because now he not only hears that his younger brother has come home, but daddy done restored him. Daddy has received him. And he's saying, I just left this morning. So now we get to that second point, the party pooper, and we see, but he became angry and was not willing to go in. Well, why was he angry, and who was he angry with? Well, angry has been defined as a strong feeling of displeasure. He was not so much angry with his younger brother. He was angry with his father. We don't have any indication that him and his younger brother had any good feeling. He could care if he was dead or alive. But he is angry with the father because the father is the one who has received him, restored him, and giving him a party. So he becomes so angry, he says, there's no way I'm going inside of there. Not so much that I'm angry with my brother, but I'm angry with you, father. Mm. I'm feeling a strong displeasure towards you. That's what we would probably say if we was angry with somebody. We don't want to really say we ain't. I got strong feelings against you. <laughs> the elder son realized the father had already fully forgiven the prodigal and their reconciliation was complete. As far as the elder son knew, no restitution was made. No earning of the father. Forgiveness was performed. The prodigal just simply returned, and the father restored him. On top of that, the father was spending his resources. So he's angry. He's hot. And he's not going to give in and go inside and pretend like everything's all right. How many times have we been angry, but we pretend like we're not? And then the worst thing, somebody can come up to you and say, you know you're angry, right? No, I'm not. No, you're angry. No, I'm not. No, you're angry. No, I'm not. And you say, you ask me one more time, then I will be angry. Okay. But many times we try to hide our true anger and then some of us say, well, I've never been given that gift because I'm just going to let it out. <laughs> but now we remember he's angry with the father, and he's angry with the father because the father has forgiven, the father has shown mercy, the father has shown grace, the father has restored, and the, younger, the older son is saying he didn't do anything to earn it. Why are you giving him all this and he has done nothing to earn it? But see, this is not anything new because if we go back to Jonah, Jonah is saying, I'm not going to Nineveh. You are the type of God that will forgive. You are the type of God that will show grace and mercy. I don't want you to show grace and mercy. So he wasn't all that angry with the Ninevites. He was more angry with God. And many times we will pretend we're angry with someone else when we're actually angry with the Father. 
So Pastor Denny or Elder Joseph, we might get the anger and it's directed to me. And I said, don't direct it to me. Direct it to the one you're really angry with. Hmm. It's been said, anger has caused many of us to miss out on the many blessings of God. Instead of getting over his anger, his anger got over him. So let me give us some, some insight of what to do with anger, especially when we become angry with God. Because some of you might still be in that denial phase and say, I've never been angry with God. Well, it's my job today with God's help to let you know that's not true. Danger signs we have become angry or embittered towards God. See, even embittered sounds better than angry. We'll come up with whatever word we want to come up with to not make it sound as harsh as it is. I'm not one of those pretending using words to cut away the harshness. Sometimes the harshness is what needs to be said, so therefore it begins to work on you. Mm. So how do we know that we're either angry with God, getting angry with God? Well, one is irritation. You say, well, I ain't never been irritated by God. He's a loving God. He's a great God. He's an awesome God. I've never been irritated. You've never been irritated with God when God's word tells you to do something you don't want to do? It, it's, that, it's that rascal or rascalette. And, 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 and that person is always, always, always right, right, right in you when you ain't having a, a good day. And now they've done something to you, and you like the descendant of the Pharisees, you kind of glad because now you think they're going to be punished by God. Then God allows them off, and then on top of it, God starts speaking to you and say, forgive them. And you're like, God, what in the world are you talking about forgiving? Do you know what they did to me? The next minute out of our mouth, we're talking about he's omnipotent, he's sovereign, he knows everything. Then we're telling God, do you know what they did to me? So now his word becomes irritating, burdensome, because he's telling me to do something I don't want to do. And now I begin to get frustrated. And I, if I'm not careful, that frustration can turn towards anger towards God. The second one is introspective. That means I'm totally focused upon myself, me, and the situation. I am so engulfed in me, I'm so focused on the situation that when the situation does not turn out the way I want it to turn out, when there's not a deliverance when I believe there ought to be a deliverance, when I think there ought to be this or that and God doesn't move in my way and my timing, I begin to focus on me more than I focus on God. And if I focus on me enough and me don't get what me wants, you're going to become angry with somebody. And ultimately, you're angry with God because he didn't do what you wanted him to do. Three, isolation. We begin to lose touch with God. He ain't losing touch with me. I'm losing touch with him because I'm distancing myself more and more from the Father. The father is saying, come on, we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate. We're going to have a good time. And I'm on the outside saying, I'm not coming in. You can invite me as much as you want. I'm not coming in. I'm just going to stay out here by myself and brew over the situation. You ever had those brewers, they just get into a room or get into a mindset, and you can just see them just building the anger up in themselves. 
So you got to get your focus off of you. You got to get your focus off this situation and get it on God. I don't want you to be talking about no God. Ooh. All right. Fourth one, insensitivity. Mm. Are we more concerned with our priorities or God's priorities? See, we said earlier, if there was a party going on, the only reason why there was a party, because the Father had something to rejoice about. Well, if I'm in touch with God, whatever makes him happy ought to make me happy. So if God's saying, this is some good news, I shouldn't be coming to the party saying, this ain't really no good news. I should be sitting there saying, Daddy, you excited. Daddy, you joyful. I'm joyful because you joyful. But when I become insensitive, I'm only thinking about me. Someone had a, a question, and when I, when I saw the question, I said, oh, man, this is a good question. What would cause you greater joy? Knowing that someone came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior today, or finding a wallet outside with $1,000 in it? <laughs> See, some of you saying, mm, mm. <laughs> Because we, we, we heard the heaven is rejoicing when one comes. We'll say, I get to rejoicing after I rejoice over this $1,000. <laughs> because if we're not careful, we can become insensitive to the things of God. What, I, what Joseph was talking about today, what we were talking about on Wednesday, when we don't have the urgency, when we don't have the passion for those who are lost, when we don't have the urgency or the passion for those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and they done got off the track, and our mindset is we don't really matter or they don't really matter to us. And God is saying, one sheep that's lost matters to me. And we'll say, we got joy out of this or that or that. And God says, that's nice, but do you know what brings me joy? And do you care what brings me joy? Mm. Better get off that one. Fifth one, ingratitude. Fail to give thanks for people or things in our life. We begin to take people or things for granted and we don't begin to give thanks to God for those people or things to be in our lives but as soon as God decides to take them out of our lives then we see an emotion we see a strong displeasure because now you have taken something away from me. And God says, you, I, don't, I can't remember the last time you thought, thanked me for that person being in your life. I can't remember the last time you thanked me for the job you go to every day. But once you got that pink slip, that, that mother, that father, that spouse that you had. You done had them 15, 20, 30 years. You do more complaining about them than giving thanks for them. Then now when they're laid off front here in the funeral in the casket, you're upset. You took them too soon. God said, why are you worried about what time I took them? You wasn't thankful when you had them. And now you got the nerve to be angry with me. 
There's a whole bunch of our brothers and sisters right now who are in the distant country because of anger, because they're angry not at the church, because that's what they're going to usually say. They're upset with the church, usually going to drop it down to the pastor. It's his fault that I'm in the shape that I'm in. It's his fault that I'm here. I'm angry about this. That's why I don't go to no church, because blah, 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 blah. And I said, you ain't coming to the church because you're angry with God. Then they don't want to talk to no more. They're going to go to the church down the street. You can always find somebody that's going to tell you what you want to hear. They say, we're going to be truthful. We're going to be honest. Let's, let's break it down. You upset because God didn't do something you wanted him to do when he was supposed to be. He wasn't your errand boy the way you wanted him to be. Like you got some authority to decide how long somebody stay on this earth. Really? Who do you think you are? But then like the prodigal and like this one as well, who's a prodigal himself, Part of being a, a part of God being our father is that I live under his authority. Not my authority, because I don't have none. His authority. And whatever decision that you make, even if I don't understand it, I still have to say thank you, Lord. Now, what are some ways to avoid becoming angry with God? We know there's a whole bunch of worldly things out there about how not to get angry with uh, another person. You know, hold your breath and count to ten. You know, some of us say, no, I got to count to a thousand. But whatever it takes, you know. But there, <laughs> there, are, some, there, are, some, there are some things that we can do to kind of help ourselves not to become angry with God. And it's a nice acronym, and the first one is align yourself with God. You know, it could be align, it could be abide. It could be more than just being spiritual, more than just being a legalist, more than just being, quote, a good person, but you align yourself with God and you abide with God. The end is never stop praising God no matter what. Like today I said, praising should be like flowing out of your mouth. It should just flow because it's something that you always do. See, someone who normally does not give God praise, that's why you remember when we said the popcorn is in the pot and it's is popping. See, I just dated myself. I said the pot. You guys saying pot? What does microwave popcorn got to do with a pot? But it, <laughs> it used to be a popcorn popper. But the microwave, whatever <laughs> you need. And when you let that popcorn pop, it's beautiful when it's going. Bruh, 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 bruh. But many of us are not that kind of popcorn. We like that little hard hole at the bottom. Pop. And, and God is saying, do I need to turn the heat up a little bit on you? Because some of us, the praises only flow when we in mess. If the older son was not so prideful, when he heard the music, he would have been able to sing praises with his father. But because he's so full of himself, no praises are going to come out. G, give yourself totally and be committed unto God. 
That's a part that none of us can say, I'm totally surrendered. But we also know that has to be the goal. May not ever reach it on this side of glory. But that does not mean I have the authority or right now to lower the standard. Mm. So if I'm totally committed out to God, if I'm totally committed about his will being done, the sense of urgency is going to come in. I will be rejoicing in what he rejoices in. I'll be thankful for the forgiveness and grace and mercy and compassion that's shown to others. R, read your word and faithfully be a reader and doer. See, once again, the church goes through phases. And then we, we like, just like the world thinks, something becomes in crowd, and then everybody run and do that. About 20 years ago, everybody was running around with a bracelet. What would Jesus do? One person started, and everybody in church got a bracelet on their arm. Okay. So then we started about 15, 20 years ago, maybe a little longer, read through the whole Bible in, in one year. Nothing wrong with it. That's what you've been led to do by God's means. Do it to your heart content. But God is never a God of just reading my word just to read it. He wants us to read and then implement what we've just read. So that's why it's so important that I'm committed and I'm tied into God. Because if I'm not committed and tied into God, I can read his word and come to some interpretation that don't have nothing to do with God's word. Because the reason why I'm coming to these interpretations is because I'm not tied into him. I'm still interpreting it in my own brain. The beauty of it is, and I know you guys have had those experiences too. You're reading some passage of scripture. The first time you read it, you're like, man, I don't know what this is saying. Then you keep reading it. You pray on it. Sometimes I've even been asleep. And when I wake up, man, it's clear to me as day. Been dreaming about the Bucks Parade, Championship Parade, and I wake up now I understand this scripture. <laughs> and God will give you that insight to say, this is how this fits. And when you begin to see, that's one of the nicest things I think I learned in school was that systematic theology, how all of the theology fits together. So now when I'm reading, I'm not just reading. We shouldn't just come to church just to sing songs, hear exhortations, hear a preach word. We are to come to hear the word of God to be transformed. We are not to come here and be the same the last Sunday in December that we were the first Sunday in January. And we can quote off all the different sermons we heard. God could care less to some extent what sermons you heard if you're not going to put it into practice. Why? Yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. God, I'm going to use my hands to your glory. I'm going to use my eyes, my ears, my tongue to your glory. It's not going to be what I want to say, but I want to be that ambassador that you've called me to be. So it's not my words, but it's your words. Use me to the utmost. See, some of us, I think, are still afraid to tell God, use me to the utmost because we're afraid he's going to use us too much. So we kind of glad sometimes when you got somebody in the church who might be looking like they're being used a lot by God, and you're saying, that's good, because you know why? That's less for me to do. 
And God is saying, I'm not using that person so you can now say that's less for me to do. God says in Hebrews, we are to spur one another, provoke one another towards good works. So when I do a good work, it's not for me to say, oh, Delbert did a wonderful thing. Let's clap for Delbert. No, it is Delbert has been used by God and you can be used by God. I'm trying to provoke you to be used like I'm being provoked. Because I've had people in my life, in my journey, who have provoked me to think of things I thought I never could do. But when I heard how God was using them, my mind went to, why could that not be me? My mind don't go to, I'm glad there's somebody else. But we got some saints that is their mindset. So we will help them to get a different mindset. Someone said as I close, when you see what you think is an injustice, do you react with anger or compassion? See, in this story, once again, we don't want to look at the story and see ourselves. But what this older son did when he came home, he saw an injustice. He saw, why is my brother getting a party? Why did they kill the fatted calf? Why is all this music going on? This is not fair. Mm, mm. Now, how did he respond? With anger instead of compassion. See, all these justice movements and stuff, they fine. You can have all the justice movements you want. You can have all the social injustice movements you want. God is saying your response is never to be angry. You said, Pastor, then it could have ended before we got to that part. Because <laughs> I like that part where I can be angry. Because we know if we'd have been that older son, many of us would have been the same way. We saw what we thought was an injustice. And I'm going to have anger over this. And I got rightful anger. That's the same thing this older son was thinking. I got rightful anger not to go to this party. And God is saying, what you need to show is my love. What you need to show is compassion. What you need to show is forgiveness. But they don't earn, they don't have not earned my forgiveness. I thought we learned a few weeks ago it's not an issue about earning it. Hmm. I'll say this one, that'll let you think about this for a little while. Forgiveness is never something we earn. It is something that is freely given. So the next time you have that spouse, next time you have that child, next time you have that employee, next time you have that employer, if you are still of the mindset, they have to earn my forgiveness, then just say to myself, I am the elder son. I am the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees are saying, you got to earn that reconciliation. You got to earn that restoration. You got to earn that forgiveness. And that's what that older son is doing right now. That younger son of mine hasn't earned any of this party. And I'm not going in because I'm rightfully angry. Who do you have in your life right now that the party is going on and you're standing outside of that party because you rightfully angry because they don't deserve what they got. 
There can be churches where somebody can get up and say they got something from God. And you're going to have one or two, no matter how outside all the churches, if it's a thousand or if it's 50, it's going to be one saint in there. Why are they always getting blessed? Why do they get that? I had to watch myself. And you say, oh, the pastor had to watch myself? Yeah, I got to watch myself. And that was a long time ago when we, when we didn't have any kids. And I'm sitting there, I'm always thinking to myself, man, I'm thinking I'd be a good father. And you know, I, I'm so full of myself, I'm saying, this child don't know how blessed they're going to be to have me as a father. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I, like, I like me some me. You know what I said? I, I think I'd do a great job. I'd be teaching them about you, God, and everything else. And then another month go by, another month go by, another year go by, no kids. Then you see somebody over here spitting kids out like rabbits. <laughs> I said, good gracious, this, this, this one's not even married. And they, they having kids. We married and we still can't have none. And God started saying, Delbert, instead of being angry towards them, which can lead over to you becoming angry with me, show compassion. Because before you blink your eyes, you're angry with him because you feel as though he didn't do something that he was supposed to. And if you see somebody else seeming like they get in the way, then that anger comes in because you're saying that isn't just, that isn't fair, and I'm not coming into this party. So don't be a party pooper. Come in when God says come in. Rejoice when God rejoices, even if in my own self I wouldn't rejoice. But I'm rejoicing because my Father is rejoicing. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, as we continue to travel through your word. We thank you, Lord, for just beginning to give us a little insight into this elder son and perhaps giving a little insight into ourselves. And many times we don't like seeing ourselves in Scripture. Um, but you don't do it, God, to, to hurt us. You do it to conform us and transform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. So let us not complain. Let us not be angry with you. But if we are angry, let us acknowledge it, confess it, repent of it, and rejoice whenever you rejoice. So, Lord, I pray for brothers and sisters who are here and those who may hear this word through tape or through whatever other mechanisms that we have, that if they are in that distant country, if they're in that faraway country, Lord, allow them to come back to you, Father, and to come back not in their own strength, but to come back to you broken, repentant, and you will throw a party because he, you will have one of yours back in the fold. So, Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and we say all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So as we